Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. What's going on? Happy Friday. Pete Callender here. Welcome to the program. And uh, if you'd like to participate in this program, it's 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. If you would like to send me an email that I will probably not read. I'm kidding. I read them all. Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Also on the Twitter machine where we just basically run around kicking people in the shins. It's at Pete Callender. And that's Callender with a K. So, um, yeah, a retired CIA leader coordinated the letter. We now know. Uh, we talked a little bit about this when the initial uh, initial report got out that there was some testimony that was going to be released, and now it has been. This is off of the House Judiciary Committee, and um, it was Mike Morell, the former CIA acting director, former acting CIA director, he served, let's see, he served, uh, what, two months in 2011 and then four months in 2012 into 2013. So two, four, let me carry the 11. So that's like six months. So he was the director at two different points. He was the acting director for a grand total of six months. He retired from the CIA in September of 2013. Yeah. We don't believe he actually retired, do we? Do you ever actually retire from the CIA? I don't think you do, right? So, Mike Morell, I don't know. I have no idea. And I'm not disparaging the CIA. Just want to be clear for all my friends in the CIA. You are my friends. I don't think you do anything wrong ever. Um, <laughs> so, I don't, I, I'm not sure that you're ever out, though, right? You're never completely out. I mean, they, he, he does get to keep his clearance and all of that. So... Which they then obviously turn into, you know, lucrative post-retirement careers because they have access, which he did as well. Um, I mean, he he did all sorts of uh, other work after he retired. But I am not here to castigate a man for working in his retirement. Of course not. We're all going to be forced to work in our retirements. Well, all of us Gen Xers at least and beyond. We're all going to have to. But a... uh, A retired CIA leader coordinated a letter from former Intel chiefs claiming that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation because he wanted to help Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Right. Which is obvious. Yes, obviously. So that's why you would write that is to help Joe Biden's campaign. Now, the question is. Who all knew that the laptop was, in fact, legit? Because therein lies the rub, right? You've got a laptop that was turned over to law enforcement, turned over to the FBI, a year before the the election, or more than a year before the election. They had the opportunity to go through it, which they did, and then they sat on it, right? And then... Remember, it came out because there were some people in the field office up in New York, and they were like, yo, what's going on with this laptop? And they kicked it over to somebody else, and then you had 
uh, the leaking of the hard drive to what Giuliani and then to some media outlets. And here's the hard drive from the laptop because the guy who owned the computer shop that Hunter Biden turned the laptop over to and then abandoned. He never came back to get it despite efforts to reach Hunter Biden to, hey, come get your laptop. It's fixed. And he, he never he never responded. He never went back to get it. And so then the guy's like, okay, well, I see some stuff on here. Wow, this seems important. I'll turn it over to the feds. And then they didn't do anything with it. So then he smartly kept copies, knowing like when you have powerful people involved like this, it's probably a good idea to have some insurance to protect yourself so you don't get Epstein. I'm just kidding. He totally killed himself. So uh, (laughs) Mike Morell is called to testify in front of the House Judiciary Committee, and he is asked about why he coordinated this letter that was put out shortly before the only debate, because COVID, remember, the only debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And this letter comes out after the explosive story hits New York Post, where you've got... uh, uh, the contents of the laptop coming out, being reported, these connections with Joe Biden, who had claimed, you'll recall, he had claimed that he had never spoken with Hunter Biden ever about any of his business dealings, ever. Which, when he said that in that interview, when Joe Biden said that in the interview, I knew he was lying because you're a dad. Are you telling me you've never spoken to your son about his business, ever? Especially when you've got such overlapping interests on some of this stuff. I'm not saying you talk details, but you had to have talked about his business, even if it's something like, hey, how's business? How's the business going? Oh, who are these partners? Oh, my brother is one of your, oh, Uncle Jim is one of your partners. Oh, that's interesting. Like stuff like that. It just seems pretty obvious to me, right? That, so when he says, oh, I've never spoken to ice cream, right? Like when he said that, I said, there's no way. No way whatsoever that that's true. And then comes the uh, the debate, and during the debate, he is able to cite the letter that the intel community put out that said, yeah, it totally sounds like some Russian disinformation to us, and you know us, we are the experts, so you got to listen to us. Mike Morrell orchestrated that. And you know why he orchestrated it? According to Mike Morrell, he wanted to help the vice president. Why? He was asked, quote, because I wanted him to win the election. You wanted him to win. That's why? Yes, sir. Okay. How did he get the idea to orchestrate this this letter? To call up these people? To say it smacks of a Russian disinformation campaign? Where did he get this idea to do all of this? Well, according to Mike Morrell, it was triggered by a call from Antony Blinken, who's now our Secretary of State, but at the time was a senior member of the Biden campaign. So Blinken calls Morrell. And that's what triggers the coordinated effort. Now, remember, a couple months ago, we talked about thank you and thanks to the disclosure out of, um, I believe it came from the Twitter files, right? The uh, oh yeah, okay. 
All right, so it came from the Twitter files where the uh, there were these uh, tabletop sessions that were um, they were put together as uh, you know organized by uh, some media people, a bunch of money that came from like these globalist types of organizations, and they all got together and they were like, you know, let's have uh, let's have a big you know like a war game strategy session role playing thing uh, where we uh, talk about disinformation campaigns and hoaxes and that sort of thing and how are your big tech platforms going to combat election interference like we saw in 2016 let's all get together and so they have these big uh table it was the aspen institute did it right the aspen institute organized this thing and um just i'm sure it was coincident i mean they were just making stuff up they were just trying to figure out hmm, what would be a good topic that somebody might actually make up as part of a russian disinformation op Hey, how about let's pretend that, oh, I don't know. How about Hunter Biden has a laptop and they stole it and they hacked into it and um, and now they're going to use it to harm uh, Joe Biden's chances because, you know, Russia, they totally love Donald Trump. So let's uh, let, let's just pretend like that that's what happened. And then they they chart out and they they role play through, like, how do you react and what are you able to do and all of this? And what they were doing was prepping them. The Aspen Institute, whether knowingly or not, Right. This example, I'd be curious to know who came up with that example, but they were prepping the big tech companies. And we heard about this later on when during some of the testimony and some of these emails that we saw in the release of the Twitter files, we saw some of we saw some of this in the in the prepping, in the seeding of the field where the Intel community would would say things like, hey, just a heads up. We got word there's going to be like a Russian hack and dump operation coming. And then, boom, here comes the Hunter Biden laptop story in the New York Post. And now the big tech companies, having run through their tabletop war game exercises and having been prepped ahead of time by the Intel community that, hey, there's a hack and dump operation getting ready to come. Look at that. It's the very thing that we thought would be a Russian disinformation up and oh my gosh you guys totally predicted this man what are the odds well it turns out the odds were zero because the intel community knew that or i guess it should say that the uh, the odds were 100 percent, right yeah their odds were 100 percent because they knew what the laptop was and they knew it was going to get out and when they knew it was going to get out they then put the advance word out they seeded the field and big tech then responded and then they locked everything down as they had wargamed in the tabletop session by the Aspen Institute. So, so all you needed to do was set the ball in motion. And you needed then this, this intel community, this appeal to the expertise and higher authority, which is what the Biden campaign did by contacting Morrell. And Morrell then did in order to help the campaign because he wanted Biden to win the election. It's all very, I mean, it, the evidence is there. At this point, the only deny that this is what occurred are the willfully blind. That's it. So the Daily Mail reporting that uh, Mike Morrell testified to the House Judiciary Committee that he was asked by Antony Blinken from the Biden campaign to coordinate a letter, to coordinate the writing of a letter, get all the signatories involved, right? All of these former intelligence community chieftains and stuff and, uh, and, and get them to sign this letter that says the Hunter Biden laptop story that had just exploded, um, that that had all of the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. And according to the testimony, uh, 
uh, Morrell was asked why did he do that, and he said he wanted to help the vice president. Uh, he wanted to help him win the election, and that uh, this was triggered, this effort was triggered by the Biden campaign. Biden, of course, used this in the debate. He used the letter. October 22nd, they're in the debate against uh, you know Biden and Trump, and um, he, he says he thought the reporting about his son's abandoned computer was the work of Russia. Mike Morrell, after the debate, Mike Morrell was thanked for his work in coordinating the letter. On a call with Steve Ricchetti, the chairman of the Biden campaign, he was told, um, you know, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Jeremy uh, got, uh, so they got him on the line and Steve thanked me for putting the statement out. And that was the extent of the conversation. And then the question to Morrell under oath. But prior to Antony Blinken's call, you did not have any intent to write this statement. He says, I did not. So his call triggered that intent in you. He says, it did. Yes. And remember, during the debate, Biden says, quote, look, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this what he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. And they have said this has all of the characteristics for five former heads of the CIA both parties. Look, Jack, come on, man. Say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. This is what they're saying. I mean, Corn Pop says it. They were rubbing my legs. They were like, not true. Nobody believes it except him and his good friend, Rudy Giuliani. Okay, I may have thrown some extra uh, lines in there, but it sent, that was the meat of what he said. He said, this is just a conspiracy theory. This is a Russian disinformation campaign that only Trump believes. And again, The laptop was in the possession of the federal authorities. The Biden campaign knew it. I've said this from the very beginning when the the news first broke. If it's true, you know the Biden campaign knows it's true. You know why? Because they would ask Hunter. First step you take, very first thing you do, when you get wind that there's there's a laptop out there or the story is getting ready to break because somebody calls you up and says, hey, you want to comment on this uh, laptop story? And you're like, no. And then you hang up. Your very next freaking phone call is to Hunter Biden and say, dude, did you leave a laptop someplace in Delaware? And then Hunter Biden's like, uh, yeah, hang on a second. Uh, maybe. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Honey, get my gun. No, I like seriously. I th- That's the first thing that you ask is, is it true? And then you know it's true. Of course, we find out later on that the laptop was in the Fed's possession for a year. So I suspect they already knew this. I suspect that they knew that the laptop existed. I suspect that they knew that it was going to be reported. Because remember, they had uh, they had uh, listening. They were listening in and eavesdropping in on Rudy Giuliani, who was the go-to guy. He was the conduit for the laptop to go to the New York Post. So they knew it was about to pop. They, yeah. Quite obviously so. Morrell said that he was asked by Blinken to rally the former Intel chiefs to agree that the laptop looked like a smear campaign. 51 former Intel officials signed on to it. Is that an in-kind contribution? Just curious. 
All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustine Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at carolinareadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? In a slight pivot, but not really, there was a recent essay for social science and medicine, mental health. That's what I read. It's on the bedstand next to my pillow. Uh, That's what I read, just for some light reading. Uh, epidemiologist Catherine Jimbrone, which is connected to the cafeteria brone, I believe. Jimbrone. No. Oh, it's at, no, it could be Jimbrone. Jimbrone. Could be that. Anyway, or it could be Gimbrone. It's G-I-M-B-R-O-N-E. Jimbrone. I like Jimbrone. Okay. So Catherine Jimbrone and co-authors in this, uh, recent essay identified a significant gap in depressive attitudes between liberal and conservative teenagers. This is a piece by Julius Krein at American Affairs Journal called How to Understand the Well-Being Gap Between Liberals and Conservatives. And this gap, uh, gap rather, was present in all years observed in the study, which ran from 05 to 18. So a 13-year study. And it was consistent the entire time. It grew significantly starting in 2012. However, as depressive effect unilaterally spiked among liberals. So in 2012, something happened and depressive effect spiked, but only among liberals in 2012. Three years later, 2015, conservatives also began reporting increases in depression. Although that rise tapered off relatively quickly, while the increases among liberals continued. Liberal girls tended to be significantly more depressed than boys. Liberal girls more depressed, significantly more depressed than all boys, particularly after 2011. Ideological differences swamped gender differences. Liberal boys were significantly more likely to report depression than conservatives of either gender. Think about that. Liberal girls most depressed, liberal boys next most depressed, then conservative girls. Liberal boys are more depressed than conservative girls. The authors also found that more educated a teen's family was, the more likely the young people were to be depressed. See, and that's why, like, that's why I quit getting any kind of education a long time. That's just stop learning this way, <laughs> just to prevent anybody. So, what's going on? The more likely the young people were to be depressed, the more dramatic their rise in depression was after 2012. So, what's going on? Why is it that liberal teenagers are more consistently depressed than conservatives. Why might familial education 
correlate with heightened depression for liberal youth? Why was there a spike in depression and a growing ideological divergence in depressive effect after 2011? Is it any coincidence that this 2011-2012 time frame was right around the time of the, quote, Great Awakening? Right? The well-being gap between conservatives and liberals is not unique to just the youth either. The gap manifests clearly across every age group. It's present going back as far as the polling goes on this topic. There is, there is a consistent 10 percentage point spread between left and right. And this has been consistent since 1972. It's almost 50 years now, right? Or more than 50 years. They also report... Higher levels, conservatives do, they report higher levels of meaning in their lives. I say this all the time. People need purpose. Young people especially. Young people, everyone needs a purpose in life. You have to figure out what it is your purpose is. And if you keep telling kids that there is no purpose in life, that we're all going to die, the planet's going to boil or whatever, or everyone's going to die from COVID, you keep telling kids these catastrophic uh, fates await them. What is their purpose? What are they doing here? And extrapolate that out into multi-generations. Is it, any, is it any wonder why you have deaths of despair like we have seen? Is it any wonder why we have the, uh, the raging fentanyl epidemic and opioid epidemic? Is it any wonder why we see the increase in the, uh, in the crime rates and in the uh, attacks uh, with, uh, uh, with gun use? Street crime. All of these things, right, they're connected. If you don't have a purpose in your life, then what are you living it for? What? Power, money, the moment? Right? We all have to be conservative, so we all have uh, purpose. That's the that's the, what I take away from it. <laughs> well, no, the, so now, look, this is not, there's a very, very lengthy piece, okay? And it's like eight pages, I think. I'm not going over all of it. And like all things in this kind of realm, there are nuances, okay? This is not black and white. It is not, you know, conservatives are way happier and never have depression. That's not what I'm saying. Right? And I'm not giving you causal evidence. We don't know if, like, is it the, is it the conservatism that causes these feelings? Or the fe- do the feelings have some sort of causal effect to the conservative outlook? Or is there a little bit of yin-yang going on, both back and forth? Right? We don't know. How much does genetics play in this uh, with depression, anxiety, that sort of thing? How much does, um, does environment, Right? I remember reading a study a long time ago that said uh, kids who go to 4th of July parades are more likely to grow up to be conservatives. And so, like, immediately I started volunteering to take all of my nieces and nephews to parades. That was... (laughs) No, but I don't know if that's causal, right? Does the parade cause the kid to grow up to be a conservative? Whatever definition that means at the time they grow up? Or... Does, is there something else going on there, right? That there are other attributes that exist inside that family structure, right? All right, we'll go into more of the details uh, on this piece and the studies. 
All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We have our winner, by the way, for the uh, for the tickets. Lynn from Fort Mill. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. I actually don't know if there's chicken. Well, probably didn't. It might be on the menu. I mean, it's a solid bet, right? If you're going to bet on whether there's going to be chicken offered at the News and Brews event next Wednesday. Chicken probably going to be in some form, like at least chicken wings, maybe. I don't know. I shouldn't. I I have no idea. I do not know what's on the menu. We'll have another opportunity later, though. Stay tuned. Judith, welcome to the program. Hello, Judith. What's going on? Um, What you were talking about in the previous segment about... um people getting progressively more and more discouraged and depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember my father passed away 50 years ago, and before he died, I remember him quoting a scripture out of Proverbs constantly that said, without a vision, my people perish. Mm. And while I was listening to you, I found it in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 20, 29, 18. it's almost like the it's almost like the Bible has some wisdom that might be valuable to impart to people throughout the uh, the generations. Oh, you think like <laughs> even from Solomon, maybe? <laughs> right, like this. I remember seeing an an interview that uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson was uh, doing, and he was uh, argu- was actually it was a debate I think with uh, with an atheist, and uh, he said like if you would just, like take Christianity and just. Again, he's talking to an atheist, so he says, just eliminate the metaphysical stuff, right? The miracles and all, just take that out of it. If you are trying to construct a set of rules by which to uh, order society, I think you would be hard-pressed to construct a set of rules better than the rules that exist in the Bible, right? Because, like, this you know, Old Testament, but also New Testament, yes, like, you have this you have the, this wisdom that is passed down through the generations. Why would we ignore that when building societies? Well, and yeah, gee, our laws are kind of set according to that, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of them are. Absolutely. Judith, I appreciate the call. Well, I enjoy your show. Thank you very much. Your dad seems like uh, he was a very wise man indeed. And uh, it's funny the things that they tell you that stick with you, you know? Uh, and that's a good one. Uh, yeah, we have to have a vision. we got to have purpose in life. We have to have purpose. Um, this is why. Uh, I, I, this is why I believe. Part of it also is responsibility. People actually who have uh, greater responsibilities end up with uh, with high rates of uh, happiness, right? Uh, because it is through working and through responsibility to others and sacrifice to others where you get the most out of your life, right? You hear it all the time when people talk about this stuff. They say, "Oh." You know, I donated all my time, I volunteered or whatever, but it you know, I really got more out of it than I ever could have given in, right? People say that all the time, and they, they say it because it's true. It's true. 
Um, there was an analysis looking at 90 countries, and they did this over the course of like 40 years, 30 years or so, 1981 through 2014. So, uh, a couple of social psychologists named Olga Stavrova and Maike Lukman, they found that the positive association between conservative ideology and happiness only rarely reversed. Liberals were happier than conservatives in five out of 92 countries. That's it. Five out of 92 countries and never in the U.S. Over the entire span of that 35-year period, never were they happier than conservatives. Conservatives are more likely to be patriotic and religious. They're more uh, likely to be happily married and less likely to divorce. Religiosity, in turn, correlates with greater subjective and objective well-being. So does patriotism. So does marriage. Right? Consequently, some have argued that the apparent psychological benefit of conservative uh, conservatism actually comes from feeling deeper connections with one's country, with one's family, and with the divine. On this model, conservatism itself would be largely incidental to the happiness gap, right? These are the things that conservatives are, quote, conservative, but they have attached to these things, patriotism, religiosity. And so because of that, right, they love the country, they, uh, they're happily married, they believe in God. And so that, those are the things that make them happy. It's not conservatism that makes them happy. It's these other attachments, Okay. So again, this all like the the causal relationships. I just I urge people to uh, to refrain from oversimplifying by saying, you know, well, aha. So you know, liberals are miserable. All liberals are miserable, and so therefore, you know, that's uh, it's a mental disorder and all this stuff. Like I, I'm urging you not to do that. However, I am pointing out that there, like this data exists, and so if we are if we're trying to figure out why people aren't happy. In this time of abundance and in this land of riches, right? Why does it seem and like I always say some people are not happy unless they are miserable and, and they are on both sides of the political spectrum. OK, but generally, generally, conservatives have a happier disposition, self-reported, obviously, but this has remained true for decades now. And so why is that the case? Why is that the case? It is empirically unclear why this pattern is so ubiquitous, not just in America right now, but also historically in America and in most every other geographical context as well. It's unclear why this is the case. But I would just point out, like, if you want to be happy, you should agree with me on, like, everything. That's... I see the... It's science. It's science.